Turn in your Bibles, church, please. Romans chapter 5. Today we're going to pick up where we left off <clears throat> last week. That would be verse 6. Today, <clears throat> the plan is to get through, at the very least, verse 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. When you have it, say amen. There are here some pages. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Romans 5, 6 through 11. Everybody has it? All right. Read with me. Follow along. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now I want you to pay Take note of that particular clause, the wrath of God, because that's one of the things that we're going to talk a lot about this morning. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received Reconciliation. Amen. Let me pray really quickly. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us this morning to read your word. Thank you for the freedom that we still have in this society, Father, to actually be able to read your word. I do not take it for granted. And so we thank you for it. We pray for wisdom and we pray for understanding. May you change us by your word. May you transform our lives by your word. May you encourage us today, Father God, so that we may be more like Jesus today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, <clears throat> boy, <clears throat> can't stand it. <clears throat> it's like this time. It's like <clears throat> something just happens <clears throat> right there. <clears throat> See, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Hey, a bunch of you got the <clears throat> bug. <clears throat> there was a commercial in the 70s. How many, how many remember that commercial in the 70s? <clears throat> that <clears throat> bug. And that's when that spray came out into the, in, into the market. You sprayed a nasty, medicine-y, awful. You young people don't remember that. It was before your time. <clears throat> Help me, Jesus. <clears throat> Oh, Father, I pray your blessings. I pray your blessings on my throat. I pray, Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe. I pray that you set your finger <clears throat> in my throat. I pray that you remove this, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm thinking about, thinking about last week and the time that we enjoyed together um, in the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I had a wonderful time hearing from the Lord last week. Regarding the, both the impact <clears throat> and the operation of faith in our lives. 
To me, that was extraordinary. I've known it for quite some time. But just the liberty that God gave me the week before to get into the Word of God, uh, Romans, in these first few verses, the first five verses of Romans, Romans chapter 5, thank you so much, of Romans chapter 5, and what, what they actually entail, what, what it's actually talking about, this wonderful justification that we have in Jesus by faith. In short, number one, we have peace with God. It's one of the things that we talked about last week. We have peace with God because our faith has resulted in what? Our faith has resulted in our justification. In other words, because you and I have looked to Jesus by faith, we have been declared righteous. It's important for every believer to understand. It's important for every believer to remember that in Jesus we've been declared righteous. Because there are problems with life. Life is not easy. The sky is not blue over our heads every single day. More often than not, we have to contend with the difficulties in our lives. So, moving forward in Christ, we need to know that we've been declared righteous. And secondly, faith has granted us lifelong access to God's grace. Faith has granted us lifelong access to God's grace. And lastly, faith allows us to rejoice in our sufferings because it all works to make us more like Him. Just imagine that. And that's probably one of our most difficulties as believers this out of heaven. How do we handle the negative circumstances in our lives? How do we handle the oppression? How do we handle the adverse circumstances in our lives? What's my perspective? At least what should it be? How can I wrap my mind around salvation in Christ on the one hand and then handling adverse situations on the other? How do we do that? Paul the Apostle says we can actually rejoice knowing that God has everything under control. Amen, church. God has everything under control. And today, I don't know if I could do that. It's just... (laughs) <laughs> Toss that around in my mouth like that. I can't, I can't do that. I'm not, I can't multitask like that. God's going to help me. God's going to help me. <clears throat> so today what I want to do is I want to add to these, those truths that we just talked about from the first five verses. But I want to take my time with this and I want to give you sort of, sort of an extra long introduction because I want to set up these verses. I want to lay out a proper foundation Regarding these next few verses, because if we don't, if we're not clear about what we're going to be reading from 6 through 11, we're going to misunderstand the, this context of Christianity and how it works, how God operates in our lives. So the theme is, the theme is the, of these verses is, if you're writing down, freedom from the wrath of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's the context, it's the theme. Freedom from the wrath of God. And it's an emphasis on the position that we enjoy today in Christ Jesus. Um, I want to insert a note here. Not relevant to this text, but some future time as well. In addition to a sermon series, a brief sermon series on spiritual warfare, I want to bring one, um, probably at least five Sundays, that has to do with our position in Christ. And that's going to be the title of the sermon series, In Christ. Because you and I, as God's children, we need to thoroughly understand 
who we are in Christ. What has been afforded to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. The wrath of God seems to be, when we think about it in some circles in our churches, it seems to be cruel and unusual punishment. But how many of you know that it's a necessary act of God because of the sin that exists in the world? What we need to be mindful of, however, in the context of, a, of, of our passage today, is that the flip side is that in Christ we are free from the wrath of God. Did you hear that? If you don't remember anything else with regard to this lesson today, you must remember that in Christ we are free from the wrath of God. Um, <clears throat> so I want to point out, I want you to look at your text. I want you to look at verses 10 and 11. We're not going to read them, but I want you to look carefully. And I want you to highlight the one word, although it's going to be in a different tense, but the one word that appears twice in verse 10 and once in verse 11. What is that word? The word is reconciliation or reconciled. It appears as reconciled twice in verse 10 and recon reconciliation in verse 11. I looked up the Greek word because I was curious. It is katalaso, katalaso, and it means to return to favor with or to receive one into favor. To receive one into favor. So, so two things. <clears throat> two things have been mentioned here so far. Number one, the wrath of God. And number two, reconciliation. And I highlight them like that because I want to make sure that you put those things down on your notes. The wrath of God and reconciliation. Now what I want to do next is I want to contrast them. Because we need to walk away from church here today with a greater understanding or a greater appreciation for what Jesus Christ did for us long ago at the cross. When he set us free, when he justified us, when he reconciled us to himself. So here it is. Here's a contrast. Wrath means, listen to this, violent passion or justifiable abhorrence. It means punishment, anger, indignation, or rent of vengeance. And it relates to God's disposition toward mankind. And I want to share a couple of things with you, just in case you're writing notes. Genesis chapter 6. Uh, this is the one particular passage in the Bible where we get to read about what happened many, many, many thousands of years ago. There was a flood that took place. And the flood took place because... According to God himself, man became, quote, altogether evil, close quote, altogether evil. Now, we're talking about the wrath of God this morning because these were people who rebelled against God, except the eight that were saved um, in the ark. You're talking about mass rebellion that took place. And as a result, they were recipients of the wrath of God. Genesis 19. Put that down on your notes. That's the passage in your Bible and mine, which talks about Saddam and Gomorrah and how God had to, how he had to respond to their rebellion. We're talking about the wrath of God. And in Numbers chapter 16, I particularly like this passage. It, again, it's talking about the wrath of God. But this was the passage where three individuals, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they were swallowed up by the earth. The, the earth lived. 
God said to Moses and to his people who were faithful, he says, I need you to get away from these people. And I need you to do it right now, ASAP. Because I'm about to destroy these people. So Korah, Dayton, and Abiram and their families, they were actually mocking Moses. Despising Moses. Rejecting. They were denouncing Moses as their leader. And as a result, God responded. He says, he says, I need you to get away from them because I'm about to destroy them. Essentially, God goes on to give the impression to his people, particularly to Korah and these two other gentlemen and their families, that not only were they despising Moses, but they were mocking God himself. And God destroyed them. This is the wrath of God. So, I want you to listen to uh, a few verses from Psalms 7, beginning in verse 11 through 13. It says, God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels, he feels wrath every day. Imagine that. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for himself his deadly weapons, making his arrows Fiery shafts. Now those are stories that we can take away from the Old, Old Testament concerning, concerning the, the violent passion of God upon sinful mankind. And, and the same thing applies. Nothing has changed with regard to God in the New Testament. Nothing has changed. The difference is that God makes a distinction in the New Testament between rebellious people, people who do not know Jesus... And the children of God. That's, that's you and I. And the emphasis here is that while God is still, or rather, while it is true that people who have rebelled against God, who today, in society today, reject God, reject Jesus, especially the atheists, they are still recipients of the wrath of God. But not you and I. Not you and I. Even though sometimes it, it, it feels that way. It feels that way, Right? When we allow ourselves, for whatever reason, to be deceived by a circumstance, the influence, the information in the circumstance, or for whatever reason, we allow ourselves to be, de- to be deceived by the enemy, right, who's always advancing himself into our lives. How many know that, that the enemy's always looking for that window of opportunity to attack us, to destroy us? John 10.10, 10, the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary of the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. His pursuit of us is endless. And you and I have to be on guard and vigilant against the enemy's assault. I want to share a verse with you. Because I want to highlight a word here that makes this freedom from the wrath of God in our lives a possibility. And we talked about it already. Verses 10 and 11. In those two verses, it appears three times. The word is reconciliation. What is reconciliation? I want you to to go with me because I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians, just turn it one book over. Chapter 1, verse 30. 1 Corinthians, and put that in your notes. First, first Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Because this is going to be the body of my message here today. I want to explain verses 6 through 11 from this one particular context. 
from the context of reconciliation from the wrath of God. But I want to, I want to, I want to incorporate four major doctrines that Paul the Apostle highlights in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He says, and because of him, you are in Christ. There's that phrase again. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I'm going to read that one more time. And because of him, you are in Christ. Who became to us who became to us number one wisdom, number two righteousness, number three sanctification, and number four redemption. These are not only major doctrines, but Paul the Apostle, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've ever noticed this in your reading of Paul's letters in his epistles, Paul the Apostle actually weaves he weaves these four doctrines into all of his writings, every single one of them. And we're going to do that today with the passage that we just finished reading. I want you to look to verses 6, six through 8, back to Romans 5. <clears throat> 6 through 8. Can't do it. I put it in my mouth again. I tried it. I can't do it. I can't suck on that and talk at the same time. You there? Romans 5? 6 through 8. Okay. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about the magnitude of that. Think about the beauty in that. Think about the majesty in that. Think about the grace in that. The mercy in that. Think about what God had to do to make that possible for you and I. Point number one, the doctrine of redemption makes reconciliation possible. The doctrine of redemption makes reconciliation possible or a reality. Again, just in case you missed it. The context is reconciliation, which has afforded us a freedom from the wrath of God. And we're going to explain reconciliation in view of these four major doctrines. And this first one is redemption. Verse 6, Paul writes, while we were still weak, I looked up the word weak, and it's asthenis, and it means infirm or feeble. And it relates to the unrepentant condition of man. I'm going to say that again. Weak in this context relates to the unrepentant condition as man, of man rather. So when Paul the Apostle talks about the weak man in that context, he's talking about when there was a time in our lives before we came to Christ, when Jesus Christ fulfilled God's redemptive plan Towards mankind. Actually, I'm going to rephrase that because that's not altogether true. Because the process of redemption is not fulfilled yet. It's going to culminate in the new future. Right? But we're in that process now. I'm not saying we're not saved. But it's, it's bigger than what you and I think. And it's going to be finalized in the future. But just think about what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross. I'm not going to repeat what I said last week. I just want to highlight a thought so that we can be on the same page so far. Weak. Is a reference to sinners. 
The people out there that do not know Jesus. And yet, in spite of that condition, God chose to go to the cross. In spite of it. It it means that you and I did not contribute anything to that process. And that we could not, not in that condition, and certainly not now. Nothing has changed. Right? So in our weakness, Christ died for us. And now that we know Jesus, nothing has changed. We cannot contribute to the redemption of God. The word is imputation, right? We talked about that, I think, week one, maybe week two. I think that was Romans chapter two, Romans chapter three, something like that. It's imputation. Put that down, just in case you did not put it the first time we mentioned it. Imputation. And the, it, it relates to this, the, I guess the, the safest way to explain it is to use the illustration of a bank, right? How many of you, Tim, you used to work in a bank? Okay, so he knows all about money, right? Can I get a thousand dollars, by the way? And so, think about, we said this, so I just remembered, so I'm not going to belabor this point. Think about somebody depositing a huge amount of money in your bank account, right? Just free of charge. No strings attached, free for you. So that you can take care of all of your necessities, all of the bills, not so that you can get the latest iPhone, okay? Share it, please. All right? Not, 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 not so that you can buy toys, but that, so that you can handle your responsibilities. Listen, I need somebody like that in my life, by the way. Just, I'm just saying, in case there's somebody here like that. But think about what God did. Relate that to what Jesus did for you and I. He deposited a major sum, a major sum of money, not physical money, right? To our account, to our credit, free of charge. That's what he did in Christ Jesus. That's what imputation means. And there was nothing you and I could do to earn it. The revelation here is simple. Jesus died for a simple for a sinful world, and mankind didn't contribute anything to that process. <clears throat> Look at verse 7. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. What's Paul doing here? He's contrasting things. He's contrasting Christ's willingness to die for man and man's willingness to die for one another. There's a contrast that's taking place there. And, and Paul the Apostle, he kind of pauses. It's sort of like, okay, parenthetically speaking, in one verse, in six, he talks about Jesus' death and what he did for us. And then now he sort of, because man is the one that's reading the letter, right? The Romans are reading this letter. You and I today are reading this letter. And he's saying, I, I, I understand one thing, that there are some of us, Paul the Apostle is saying, who from time to time are capable of laying ourselves down for one another. It, it's rare, but from time to time. I don't know about you, but I'll, 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 I can say this clearly, right? Without any reservations, I'll die for my, I'll, I will die for my wife. If I have to, given the circumstance, right, if I can't turn the cheek and that's not suitable, I'm going to die for her. That's just hands down. It's just what's going to happen. Right. The old me is going to come out. Right. And there's going to be a rumble in the jungle. I'm just saying now, all jokes aside, I know some of you do the same thing. How about moms for your children? Ooh, wow. Let a wolf come around your children. Otto, huh? Que dices? 
Huh? Let somebody come around and mess with Estrella. Right? So Paul the Apostle, he borrows from that idea, from our personal sentiments. Yes, somebody, some of you are capable of doing that from time to time, given the right situation. But do not compare it to what Jesus Christ did. Paul the Apostle said, don't compare it to what Jesus Christ did because you people were undeserving and yet he did it anyway. He went all the way. And I believe he shed every drop of blood in his body for you and I. We were so undeserving, yet he did it anyway. What's the point? We're talking about redemption. Redemption. He paid a price for you and I. There was a price that had to be paid. And as a result of this purchase, you and I have been reconciled to God by faith. And this is something that we cannot, we cannot take for granted at all. If we don't remember anything else about this message or anything else about the Word of God or anything else about Christianity, we cannot take for granted what Jesus did for us on the cross. We cannot. You show me somebody who's taking for granted the fact that Jesus died, and I'll point that person out as somebody who's probably unstable with his or her walk with Jesus. Because to take that for granted is to render us unstable on so many different levels. Look at verse 8 with me. i got to move along. Look at verse 8. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, this is something that we cannot take for granted because it speaks of things like love and and mercy. And of course, it speaks of redemption. Redemption is what drove Jesus Christ to the cross, quote, while we were still sinners. We're talking about freedom from God's wrath. And one of the things that makes that possible, that makes reconciliation a reality, is redemption. Point number two, the doctrine of sanctification makes reconciliation possible. The doctrine of sanctification makes reconciliation possible. Look at verse 9. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We're talking about sanctification here. The, the, on the, the first step is that because redemption is a reality, because salvation was purchased for us, once you step into Christ Jesus, redemption affords us salvation instantaneously. Not five years later, ten years later, but instantaneously. But the flip side, or another concept, or another way of looking at it, is to consider this one particular term. Sanctification. And I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1, because I want, you to, I want you to see this. And I want you to hear the voice of sanctification. I want you to hear the voice of sanctification, and how it operates in our lives. And remember, while you're searching, all this is a reality Because of the blood of Christ delivering us from the wrath of God. Colossians chapter 1, look at verses 12 and 13. You're there? It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Highlight those words. 
share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered, you need to underline, circle, highlight that word. Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred, you need to highlight that word. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The verse says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Here's what it means. It means we are not in the same place we were before we came to Christ. It means we do not belong to the devil any longer. It means we are children of God. It means we are children of light and that we are no longer recipients of the wrath of God. We've been translated, the King James Version says, we've been translated away from the kingdom of darkness and we are now members of the kingdom of God here on earth. And it doesn't matter how ugly it looks on your life, in your life from time to time. And I know some of you are really struggling. I know it because I'm involved in your affairs. But listen, the good news is that listen, the, the, the rules or the, all those things that applied over there don't apply to us anymore. I'm free. Jesus said in John 8.36... If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be you shall be free indeed. Next time you find yourself in a tough spot, remember that you've been translated or transferred, depending on the version that you have. Point number three. The righteousness of God makes reconciliation possible. So far we talked about redemption, sanctification. And now we're going to talk about righteousness. And by the way, let me back up just a little bit. This, this thing involving sanctification, it all, there's, there's a reference in it. There's an important note in it concerning holiness. It, that I, I did put it in my notes, but I just, I'm looking at the clock and I just went over it. But I want to make note of it now. So when Jesus Christ died, the moment we accept him and we experience this sanctification, this translation or this transference from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, there's this holiness that becomes of, that becomes a part of us innately, permanently on the inside. Of, this holiness that now, now we can actually come before God and we can actually please God. We can actually honor God. And it's that measure of holiness that guarantees us heaven one day. And you cannot become any more holy after salvation than when you first got saved. Doesn't matter how many years you've been in the church. If you're saved and you know Jesus, then, then you're holy, right? You're holy enough to, to one day enter into heaven's gates. We don't get holier. We just get more sanctified. He cleans us up. And we let go of some of these things that we should be a part of. Point number three, the righteousness of God makes reconciliation possible. The righteousness of God makes reconciliation possible. Look at verse 10. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This is the doctrine, of, uh, the doctrine of righteousness. Paul speaks of it in two ways, and I want to show you this. I want, to, I want you to see it. <clears throat> Number one, he talks about our position in Christ. And number two, he talks about our disposition 
in Christ. There's a difference between the two. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments. Uh, but first, I want to highlight something. I, 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 want you, I want you to understand what Paul the Apostle meant by righteousness. So I want you to turn over two chapters to Romans chapter 3. I want you to see this. We're going to come back to that disposition and position thing. But what did Paul mean by righteousness? You have it? Romans 3, look at 21 and 22. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So the, 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 there's a lot there. I don't have the time to unpack it. But I'll share this. The law is perfect. How many know that? The law is not imperfect. We are imperfect. But the law was given in its perfect condition so that it can bring about the exposure of sin in your life and mine. The individual who is capable, who is perfect and capable of living out every jot and every tittle of the law of God, and Jesus Christ was the only one who was capable of doing that, that the law would make you righteous if you were perfect. It would make us like God in that, in that, in that, in that moral sense. But because we are not, it exposes sin in our lives, right? And, and Jesus, what Paul the Apostle is saying, when Jesus went to the cross, when he went to the cross, the moment you and I accept him as Lord and Savior, this, we, we take on his righteousness. And we're now actually able to please God. We're actually now able to satisfy the ordinances of God. We talked about that word imputation already. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, I'm going to move on. I want to talk about what I, wa- what I was going to say about position or disposition. But I want you to look at verse 10 again. Look at verse 10. It says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That's a positional statement. It's talking about who we are in Christ as a result of having accepted him. That's position. Now look at the rest of verse 10. It says, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall, shall we be saved by his life. That's talking about our disposition in Christ. The life, in other words, that you and I can now lead as a result of our position in Jesus. I can, I, yes. It's talking about future glory. That's in there. Paul the Apostle is directly talking about that. But it's not only limited to that. It's talking about our life now, this side of heaven. Because of this righteousness that we have by faith in Christ Jesus. It means that I can live my life out in a manner pleasing to God. And that I can actually receive fellowship from the Lord. You and I, you know we have that liberty. We can enter into this intimate and wonderful, wonderful fellowship with Jesus Christ because of this righteousness. The things that I'm doing in my life today, although from time to time are offensive to you, or may be offensive to you, when God looks upon me, I'm thankful for Jesus. Because when He looks upon me, He sees God's, or Christ's righteousness. He sees Christ in me 
and he, this is something that has rendered me pure in the sight of God. Although I know I have some issues, right? My wife would tell you, we, 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 you, we have some issues, right? Sam, you too. Don't smile at me, bro. You, you got some issues, right? We, we all have issues, but thank you, Jesus, for righteousness. And so we don't have to wrestle with this, right? I know I belabor these points, but I do it because, because of passion. I do it because I, I want to. I have to make sure it doesn't go over your head. Just think about this. Think about this the next time you find yourself struggling with sin in your life. Right? Something you, 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 you trip over. And next thing you know, you're wallowing it just a little bit. Now, you know you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart. God's moving in your life. God has made a difference in your life. He's making a difference in your life. And just because tomorrow you may step into something, you know, wrong, something inappropriate, doesn't mean that all of, all of a sudden, automatically, you are out of the grace of God. You are out of fellowship with God. It doesn't mean that at all. If you believe that, you, you need to go to the church down the street. Right? 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 Oh, okay, 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 amen, amen. Amen, I'll receive that. So you understand? Okay, let's move on. Because I want to get to that sandwich just as badly as you do. Alright? That's the righteousness of God. Last point. Look at verse 11. The point is, if you're writing down, the wisdom of God makes reconciliation possible. The wisdom of God makes reconciliation possible. And I love this point. Verse 11 says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What are the things that come to mind when you think about the wisdom of God? Do you ever think about the voice of God? You ever think about the truth of God, right? The truth of God. Do you ever think about the gospel of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you ever think about the word of God? Not only do those things actually apply in this context, what I'm talking about, it addresses the means by which, you got to get this one, it addresses the means by which the Lord sustains fellowship with us. The wisdom of God is the means by which the Lord sustains fellowship with us. I'm going to read something to you. And it's just about the, the standard of God. In, um, in Amos chapter 3 verse 3, it says, Will two people walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Or can two, depending on your version, can two people walk together Unless they have agreed to do so. The relevant application from that text regarding our context today is that since God has entered into fellowship with us through Jesus Christ, he uses his word or his wisdom to communicate with us and to bring about growth in our lives. Why? Because the wisdom of God is the standard of God. Write this verse down. Acts Eight, Acts seventeen twenty eight, Acts seventeen twenty eight, and that passage talks about Paul the apostle was trying to get across to the Greeks and all these people back then who were listening to the gospel, worshiping the unknown God, 
Paul the Apostle, he puts a stamp on their argument and he says, in Christ, he says, in him we move, in him we live, and in him we have our being. He's the essence. And how is it that God, how is it that today you and I can relate with God if not through his word? It's the means by which he has saved us. When we heard the gospel, write this verse down. Romans 1.16, and it's on my notes. Romans 1.16. It says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So you see how the word of God is in that verse. And it relates to this reconciliation process that has taken place in our lives. The word of God. It's the wisdom of God. In the Old Testament... Over in the Psalms, over and over again. In Proverbs, over and over again. Solomon says that wisdom cries out in the streets. That God, through his voice, through his word, is trying to reach the masses and drawing us to him into fellowship with him. So that's how we apply the wisdom, the doctrine of the wisdom of God in this one particular text. There is no other Standard. Look at the verse again. 10. It says, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In my mind, the only way that is possible is through fellowship. And the only way that we can fellowship with God is by adhering, adhering to the standard of his word. For example... What becomes of us if we remove the Bible from this church? What happens? We lose this connection with God. Right? Because he, he seeks to bring about growth in our lives through His Word. There is no other way. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto all good, all good works. He fulfills that in our lives through his written word. Amen? Now i got to move towards closing. So the implication is fellowship with God. Lifelong fellowship with God. Put this verse down. John 8, 32. I'm going to read 31 through 32. I'm going to read them to you. But John 8, 31 and 32. And I want you to hear this clearly. We're about to close, but I want you to hear this clearly. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. He talks about discipleship, then he introduces his word. You see the connection there? You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In Romans 16, I already read that one. So the summary is this. Freedom from God's wrath has become possible because of reconciliation in Christ. Remember, we were talking about the wrath of God. And Paul the Apostle highlighted it from 6 through 11. And he did so contrasting so that we can learn to appreciate the reconciliation that we have in Jesus. We're no longer on that camp over there. The wrath of God is no longer upon us. I'm not a victim. I'm not, I'm not a target by God like that any longer. While I am still a target 
right? But to His bounty, to His blessings. He, he's looking to enhance me and you so that we can live Him out this side of heaven and draw, hopefully, draw other people to Him. So Paul borrows from four major doctrines to support this idea, this theme. Number one, redemption. And it has to do with the price that Jesus paid for your salvation and mine. Number two, sanctification. And that has to do, don't forget this, it has to do with this transference, with this translation. We're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. So there are going to be some days in your life when you're not going to feel the way you did the previous day. You're going to feel salty. You're going to feel shamed. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel a little depression from time to time. But know who you are in Jesus Christ. Know who you are over here. You have to. Amen, church? You have to. This is valuable. We've been set free. And number three, righteousness. Today I can please God. That's the point. Today I can please God because of Christ's righteousness within me. I can please God. There was a time in your life and mine when we were not pleasing to God. In no way, shape, or form. And lastly, the wisdom of God. And this again is the last point that we talked about. And it speaks of God's voice in us. The means by which he makes us more like Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I get the worship team, if they're still here, to come forward? I want you to stand with me, church. We're going to pray together. If you can, if you are able to, stand with me. How many of you appreciate those little those leaflets in your bulletin where you're able to put down some notes? You appreciate that, that page? Great. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Bow your heads with me, church. Bow your heads with me. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for this message. We thank you so much for the worship opportunity in your presence. We give you glory and honor for it today, Lord God. And we thank you for all these benefits that Paul the Apostle highlighted, that you highlighted by your Holy Spirit through your servant, Paul the Apostle. This freedom, Father God, from the wrath of God. This liberty, this translation that has taken place because of what Jesus did for us. Father, I'm so thankful for the blood. I'm so thankful for the broken body of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful, Father, for the freedom that we have today. For the spiritual freedom, Lord God. For the emotional freedom. For the physical freedom that we have here today because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And by faith, according to Paul the Apostle, you've given us access to your throne. Access to the benefits of God as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for sanctification, for righteousness. And we certainly thank you for the word of God, for the wisdom of God. The one tool that you use on a daily basis to make us more like you. Father, will you bless your people here today? Can you minister, please, mightily to your people here today? Let none escape you here today, Lord God. May we all thoroughly understand what these truths mean 
And may we take ownership of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost so that as we leave here today, Lord God, we may live life triumphantly in the presence of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. wonderful opportunity you've given us in your presence here today. Thank you for allowing us to worship you freely. Help us to remember what makes this possible. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for his death. Thank you for saving our souls and forgiving our sins. These things we pray thanking you always in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget that at this time we are going to be celebrating in the fellowship hall um, our threefold communion. Please come on by. We have a meal. We're going to participate in the bread and the cup as well as in the washing of feet. God bless you guys.